Hello, friends, and welcome to our end of the year celebration for the Star Wars Universe podcast. And of course, you can't end the year without celebrating Life Day. So in honor of one of the greatest pieces of Star Wars media, the uh, holiday special. No, we won't be making you watch that, I promise. But we will be talking about all the great things that we want to celebrate, as well as some things that we might have some questions or thoughts about that happened in 2022. All that and more with myself and Paul Hoppy right after this commercial break that probably the Wookiees control. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I'm joined as quite often by Mr. Paul Hoppy. Paul, how are we doing today? Doing pretty good. Although now I'm picturing uh, Papa Wookie watching, uh, you know, what he's watching in that holiday special. And uh, uh-huh. I, I enjoyed watching it that one time to some extent. <laughs> I'm, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> that, that's fair. That is very fair. Be Arthur, uh, you know, singing or not. <laughs> I found out recently that there is only one physical copy of that left in existence, uh, and Carrie Fisher was in ownership of it. So I don't know what happened to it upon her death, but the fact that apparently she like demanded it from George at some party because uh, he used mm-hmm. to show it every year at like Star Wars rap parties, in right? The 70s right. And 80s, so. One original copy. There's there's also the you know there's the one in the in the white and nerdy video by Weird Al. Oh yes, that's uh, true. That's true. Although that might be fake. Right. I, I think it quite possibly will. But no, friends, have no fear. We will be discussing 2022. And we're going to kind of have this in two parts. One is we're going to just kind of go over overall thoughts and impressions and feelings about this season, this year. Um, but then we're going to go, go through and kind of break down. We put out some polls that some of you were able to respond to uh, on what were your favorite movies and books of this year. I'm sorry, what were your favorite TV shows mm-hmm. and books of this year? Uh, there were no movies this year, but we certainly got a lot of content. And we also got some video games that uh, Paul has not played, but I have, and I'll touch on briefly. And, Paul, I think I would just start out my kind of thoughts on the overall year as saying, I feel like this was the first year where I really got used to the idea that we're just now going to have Star Wars content fairly regularly for the foreseeable future. You know, we we had this long drought for... You know, Return of the Jedi and then 16 years of nothing and then the prequels and then another however many years of nothing and then the sequel movies. And then we had Mando. There was like one show maybe a year. And even then I was still kind of like, okay, who knows? I'm looking at next year thinking we're going to have four shows probably at least. We had, by my count, five shows this year. Um What's kind of your overall feeling on like where we are with Star Wars content and just how often it's coming out? Because to me, it kind of feels like we are now officially in the same era as like Marvel in terms of just we're always going to be getting something. Yeah, the word super saturated comes to mind. <laughs> you <laughs> That's know, fair. Um, I I do think I I will note that between the prequel and sequel trilogies, um, although really. You know what? I'm not even sure either one of them is a proper trilogy, but uh, (laughs) I digress. There was the Clone Wars, right? Right. So there there was something. And and that's kind of when I think almost the idea of like a series that is, you know, not like the Ewok series or the droid series, you know, which I guess existed, (laughs) you know. Um, But it's weird because... They did, you know, there were three movies, 
and then there was over a decade, and then there were three more movies, and then there was over a decade, and then there were five movies pretty quickly. Right. And then there hasn't been a movie since 2019. Hmm. Yeah, you know? True. And I, I'm not even aware of any that are, like, in production, right? There's pre-production. There's things being discussed, and, oh, there's going to be this trilogy, there's going to be that trilogy, there's going to be this movie, and then, um, I, I mean, I, I could be you know, missing something, but it seems to me like it's, you know, transitioned into this, like there are constantly going to be shows. And on some level, I think that's a really cool model. Um, On another level, like it, it feels like a bit much, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and like, it's just this, um, you know, to quote pitch meetings, like, you got some of that Star Wars milk for me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like just, you know, milking the cash cow, basically. I, 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 I kind of agree with that. I and mean, I think I, I certainly like this a lot more than when it felt like just there was no Star Wars for decades. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. It, it, like, the Clone Wars was out there for sure. And then Resistance has been out there. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit yeah. as well. I think, though, because at least when the Clone Wars was coming out episodically – the perception was, and certainly my perception was, that it was very much a show for kids. Mm. And it was not, I think in part because the prequels were not thought of very well by most of the fandom. Um, well, I should say, by most of the adult fandom who were talking online at the time. I think a lot of the, the people who saw the prequels as kids were watching the Clone Wars week to week. And they're the ones who are now mostly like young adults and are dominating a lot of the online conversations. And then a lot of us older folk like wound up catching up by watching it later. But I think certainly, like, were you watching the Clone Wars week to week when it came out? No, but I mean, I have friends our age who were, you yeah, know, who were who were very into Star Wars. I think I think basically, you know, there were kids who were maybe watching that as their first exposure to Star Wars. There yep. were people who were kids when they watched the prequels, and then there were like you know hardcore Star Wars fans. And right. um, but you know, I did watch it before Disney acquired. Uh, yeah. Star Wars, you know, or at least before yeah. they started making movies again. Um, you know, yeah, back when most things were on Netflix. <laughs> right, yeah. I, no, I watched the whole series repeatedly on Netflix, you know. Yeah. Um, in Spanish. It's a weird thing because, you know, back then I would have said there's no such thing as having too much Star Wars. And in some ways I don't quite feel that way because I, I have enjoyed most of it. But there is something about, like, Watching Mando felt so special because there wasn't anything else going mm-hmm. on. And I don't know. It's one of those, like, I don't want to romanticize the past. I, I guess here's maybe the best way to put it is, like, when there's only one movie every two years or every year or every five years, ten years, whatever it is, it's yeah. so much. I, I feel like it's just the conversation has changed so much because now it feels a lot easier for me to be able to say – okay, that was pretty good. It wasn't my favorite because it wasn't the only Star Wars I'm going to get for three years, you know? Like, even some of the worst experiences I had with some of those movies, it was still getting to see Star Wars on screen for the first time in a year, two years, however long. Now, especially with so many of these TV shows coming out, many of which I thought were very good, some of which I thought were okay or had some problems, I get, I mean, it's sort of feeling of like, okay, I can love what I love. I cannot love what I love. There's always going to be something new coming down the road soon. And yeah, I kind of think I have mixed feelings about that. I think it's great in some ways. I also think maybe spacing it out a little bit more, not, I would like if some of these shows got a little bit more room to breathe, you know, like I would like if we had some more time to talk about Andor 
when the fact is Bad Batch is starting in two weeks. And then, you know, something else is going to start. Uh, we'll have Bad Batch and Mando going for, for the same time mm. for about a month or so. Mm. And then Republic's going to come out and all this stuff. Uh, not Rep- Ahsoka's going to come out and all the rest. Yeah, I... I think it's interesting because, I mean, the, you know, the news cycle and the, the cycle of hype and coverage and everything is, is just faster than it used to be, right? Yeah. This, is, this is just the way the world operates now as, as opposed to a specifically Star Wars thing or even a, a specifically, um, you know, uh, stories on screen type thing, right? This is just the news cycle is just fast. And um, I think there used to be more of a sense of, you know, something, I mean, you could say that Star Wars was like what started the whole blockbuster idea, right? Right. Where a movie had to come out, have a big opening weekend, and then, um, then just like dominate the box office in its initial release, um, as opposed to have this, you know, longer lifespan. But then on the other hand, like, Maybe Star Wars did build up in terms of hype and and did have this super long lifespan. So maybe it's like also kind of the opposite of that. Um, but but yeah, there was you know I don't think there's ever going to be the the anticipation of like waiting 16 years and then seeing you know the Phantom Menace right yeah um, you know similarly there'll there'll never be the disappointment for me of like <laughs> having that much anticipation and the sort of confusion of like. Wow, this is like such good rendition of so many of the things I love about Star Wars, you know, like like the, you know, the Duel of the Fates and and so much of it was like, you know, the spectacle was still there, but but also the story just, you know, not landing with me. I'll just say that, right? right? Um and now it's like, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi as a story, I would say didn't really land with me. Mm-hmm. But like then I watched the next thing. You know, it's like, it just wasn't that big a deal. It wasn't like, oh, what have you done? And, you know, it helped me sort of transition mentally into the idea of like, these are a bunch of stories that are connected in the same universe or or galaxy. And you can take them as all being part of one continuity, although really there's two continuities because there's Legends and there's Disney, right? In terms of canons. But like, also just like, for me, I'm just now, I'm just like, it's okay if not everything fits together perfectly. And if there's movies that don't handle the characters that I love the way I want them to, like, I could just enjoy the things I enjoy and kind of yeah. let other people who enjoy the things that they enjoy, enjoy them and be like, yeah, that just, that wasn't my jam. It's fine. Yeah. You know, I'll watch the, <laughs> I'll watch Andor again in two years. <laughs> like, it'll be okay. I think that's very true. And I think, I mean, we're always going to have some of the toxic parts of the fandom that are just going to yell and scream about everything. But that that's not Star Wars. That's everything these days online. Yeah. But, like, you know, I, I never wrote letters to Ahmed Best. I never, like, harassed anybody. But I, I was pretty upset when I thought the prequels were pretty bad. And I, I, you know, I was 20 years younger and I was in a much different place in my life. But I was still, even then, I was, like, I, I was bothered by it. But I wasn't, like, bothering anyone else about it. But I think part of that feeling was, like, I waited 20 years and I got this. Or, like, I had 20 years to think about what this story, how I think it would play out, and this doesn't fit that. And I'm not saying those are healthy or good thoughts. I think there's a lot of fan entitlement in that. But I think, like you said, now that it's just it's so much is coming out, it's so much easier to be like, okay, that wasn't perfect, but I can move on, and I can still go back and enjoy the good parts. Um, even something like Kenobi, where I was like, eh, I think you got a lot of this wrong, 
I'll still probably go back and watch some of the fight scenes or watch a lot of Riva's scenes because I thought her character was great. Or that, like, young Princess Leia was fantastic. Like, it, it, it feels much easier. Whereas, like, I think 10 years ago, I would have never put on Phantom Menace just to go watch Duel of the Fates, you mm. know? Like, yeah. I knew it was good, but I just still, it was just like, it was just wrapped up in all that and all these sort of sad feelings about things. Um, so I think that's part of like me getting healthier and the fandom getting healthier, but also I just think, yeah, it's, it's when there is a lot more, there's not so much put on any one part of the creation. Uh, yeah. I also do want to quickly throw in that uh, if Ashley Coffin were here, she would jump in that Jaws was really the first summer blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. Like Star Wars coming two years later and then building in this every two years thing so or every three, three or four years thing yeah. definitely carried that along as well. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking of Jaws <laughs> when I was saying that. I was like, well, that was two years earlier. Um, yeah. And then the sequel was, was was it 78, I think? 77, 78. I think so. Okay. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, that you know that the movies changed, right? And and I mean yeah. things changed. And I I think also like you can't blame the movie itself. It's like it's the behavior of the studios that really you yeah. know is is at the root of things. Um, in terms of the kind of fan entitlement, I I do want to like say, I I feel like that is an issue that is. It's just an inherent issue in taking characters. And playing them through so many stories, mm-hmm. you know, is that like when you create characters and you have them in their story, basically, and then you come back to that a lot of time later. Um, or, I mean, sometimes it's even just the first sequel after a thing, you know. Right. Um, and in fact, the Bourne movies are some of my favorite movies but the born supremacy does something that i'm like well this this kind of ruins the born identity for me in a way you know um and i won't give spoilers of this 17 year old movie or whatever <laughs> but you know it the the point being like every prequel and every sequel has a, a way that it reflects back on what it's a prequel or sequel for right yeah and i i think there's there's like uh there's a danger and a a potential value in that, right? And mm-hmm. how, you know, if you make something that's just like straight trash, then it's it's pretty much just going to be like, okay, you're just kind of tarnishing whatever there was before. Um, except people can kind of be like, yeah, that's not part of my head canon, you know. Um, right. But also, when you make something that's you know got like some things that are going to appeal to some people and maybe takes a character that it's like, well, that character maybe wasn't that developed and now you're developing them more. Like, I'm I'm not super thrilled with that being kind of like the primary mode of storytelling that we're getting these days. Mm-hmm. Like, there's an extent to which one of the reasons I enjoyed Rogue One so much was it was a bunch of new characters and it was their story. Yeah. And then... One of the reasons I'm enjoying Andor so much is that it's a bunch of other characters. I mean, it's got this one character and then, you know, a couple of, of I guess, side characters who are actually more principal to the, you know, the rebellion. Mm-hmm. But, like, that it's it's telling the stories of characters who really didn't, um, yeah. didn't get, get, you know, those stories didn't get told, right? And to, just to contrast that with, like, Obi-Wan... Um, mm-hmm. and, and Boba Fett, where uh, I think a lot of the negative feelings towards those shows, and I, I actually really did like Book of Boba Fett and really didn't 
particularly love Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, I think a lot of, it's very understandable to me why people wouldn't love those shows um, yeah. or why not, like why it's impossible almost to make a show of either of those that everyone will love because yeah. everybody's going to have their own, particularly Boba Fett, who just like, people are like, oh, this isn't my Boba Fett. And it's like, yeah, but like there was so little Boba Fett on screen, you know? And I, I was thinking about that because, yeah, it's like we had basically three shows that took characters we'd seen a little bit of before or or a lot of before and then took them in totally new directions. I don't think it's coincidental. I don't know if you would say this is true for you, but I think one of the reasons why I liked Book of Boba Fett so much more than most people is I didn't really care about Boba Fett going in. Mm -hmm. I thought he was kind of interesting, but I wasn't someone who like was trying to learn the Mando language or like, you know, super into his own lore or his backstory or stuff like that. He was to me mostly a blank slate of a character who you could do anything you wanted with. And yeah, I think you're right. Most of the people who really didn't like that show, I think a lot of it was like, oh no, because I had, this was who Boba Fett was supposed to be and this didn't live up to it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, I don't begrudge those people that opinion, you know, it's yeah, like, that's sure. not my opinion when they're like, oh, he's so soft. I'm like, did you, did you even watch the show? You know, like he kills so many people in the show, <laughs> so many people, but like I, but in terms of like, it doesn't fit your, your view of the character. Fine. You know, I don't yeah. think he would do these things. Fine. You know, yeah, that's, you know, you had so long to come up with your own view of the character that then now coming and, and being like, no, this is this character's story. Um, particularly if you're viewing everything as this like sort of sacred canon or whatever. Um, I, I think I, I can understand uh, that yeah. engendering like very negative reactions that are that are you know strongly felt. Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways that's why I, I think both of us had not great feelings about the sequels in a lot. Of, uh, uh, well, it, it's so funny because saying you know like the sequels is now such a loaded statement. That's a mm. whole other discussion we've talked about other ways. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, especially both Rise of Skywalker, you know, which what you did like more than I did, but, but right, yeah, but you had I very liked strong feelings about Last, Last Jedi, Jedi less yeah. than you did. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I think in some ways, to me, like, Obi-Wan and Andor, I feel are like, like, if I wanted to teach a class on prequels, I would use those two as examples, because mm -hmm. they're so different, you know, in right. terms of Andor, like you said, the characters are mostly unknown, it's a period of history it's mostly unknown, and it's a story that, is, like, we don't know what happens to Ferex right. at the end of the story. We yeah. don't know what the raid on Aldani was supposed to do. It's like all that stuff is happening so far below the radar screen, whereas with Obi-Wan, we know exactly who Obi-Wan is. We know where he's supposed to wind up. We know where Vader is supposed to wind up. We know what their next confrontation is supposed to look like. We know, you know, and, and so I feel like I, I love I love that uh, people really liked Obi-Wan. And it, it's funny. We did, as I said, a couple of polls, by no means scientific, but, um, you know, we got about 100 respondents altogether between Twitter and Facebook. And Andor was the favorite by between um, about like 60%, about 60% or so were Andor, and then about 25%, uh, you know, kind of putting the two poles together, uh, had Kenobi as, as this very strong second, maybe closer to 30%, with then um, Book of Boba Fett, Lego Summer Adventure, and Tales of the Jedi, each getting uh, a very much smaller, like less than 5% of the vote. Um, uh, and and I, think, I think it's interesting that, that Obi-Wan and Andor are the two biggest, because I think... 
they're two very different kinds of Star Wars. And I think it's awesome if you like both. I think it's awesome if one of them is more your speed. And I think if one, it, you know, I think there are definitely some people who are like, Andor is not for me because it's not lightsabers and space battles and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, you, I like that we're now at that point. In, there are restaurants that I go to where they've got some things on the menu that I'm never going to order because I don't want it or I don't think they do it well. And that's fine. And I would say, like, is there some sadness that we don't have any, like, Star Wars is just unifying around one thing anymore? I think, no, it's probably for the best because we fought like crazy when we did that. And, hmm. like, you know, the more it can be this, people can be like, okay, cool. You're just not an Andor person. You're not, you know, whatever. And I, I enjoyed all of it. I definitely preferred Andor. But some people really preferred Obi-Wan. And I think that's I think that's great. Yeah, uh, there's a lot there. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, let's see. First of all, I don't go to restaurants that have things that I don't want. But I, <laughs> that's that's my there's very... There's got to be a vegan restaurant that does something where you're just like, oh, there's not enough spice in that. I'm not ordering that again. Sure. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that that metaphor. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, in terms of like there being something for you know, different things for different people. I think that's cool. And um, especially, you know, in Star Wars, I feel like things aren't necessarily as overtly targeted in terms of like, you know, identity, like the way, the way Marvel kind of, um, you know, the way Marvel has done representation re recently, um, mm -hmm. which, I mean, I, I haven't seen everything. I haven't seen Black Panther or Wakanda forever. Um, but like the, like when, when Ms. Marvel came out, like the way it was marketed was so much around, you know, look, this is this character's identity as opposed to um, more holistically, this is who this person is, mm -hmm. who this character is, um, which I don't know. That's, that's a whole tangent, but like, I feel like Star Wars can hopefully showcase more and more diversity going forward uh but because the star wars universe is very different from our own um it i think it plays a little differently right in, in terms of just the stories themselves right um but like in terms of the prequels and by prequels i mean obi-wan and andor yeah. the shows right um i think obi-wan to me was like it had it had some great set pieces, right? And it, it felt like it was built around some scenes that someone wanted to put on screen. And yeah. those scenes were very cool to watch, you know, for me. I mean, I, I, I think they were objectively well done in terms mm -hmm. of, like, delivering on what they were there to deliver. I think there's right. a larger question of, like, why are you telling this story, you know? And it's funny because Obi-Wan is such a pivotal character in, you know, the Skywalker saga, saga, basically, right? Right. In terms of his, you know, relationship with, um, with Anakin and then, then with Luke and um, maybe as a force ghost with Leia eventually. But nonetheless, like, I felt like there wasn't really a huge point to that story in terms of like, it felt like, oh, let's show, let's have another matchup between, Anakin and Obi-Wan and there's some character stuff that is delivered there, but mm. it, it doesn't feel like it's a story that's like important in terms of the overall narrative or to me yeah. so much in terms of their characters, you know? 
Yeah, like, I, I think if there's any sort of like big thing we like a, a transition moment in the overall story, it's Obi Wan's own personal journey of coming to terms with his guilt over what happened to Anakin and being able to turn now toward focus on protecting Luke and training Luke and and not just kind of losing himself and cutting himself off from the Force. And right. Yeah, like that's it's an interesting internal journey, but it's not the story of, you know, how did the Death Star get built or how did, you know, these planets decide to join the rebellion or like any kind of like it, it it's it's a character journey, it's not a story journey. Yes. And but then also it's like because we know that it, it seems like he ends up not really doing very much during this whole time period. It it just feels a little awkward to me in terms of like its place within the greater narrative, right? Yeah, I agree um, that. And also, it's like, well, we we told that dude's story, you know, and it's like there to me that feels like there's a little bit of like, uh, like oh well, let's fill in all of these kind of gaps, you know? It's like where can we fit a story in? Um, and that's not to say that there couldn't be a great Obi-Wan Kenobi story. I don't feel like this was a great story. I feel like yeah. it was, um, at points, a very well-executed um, show in ways, mm-hmm. you know, that I think probably could have been a two-hour movie and been a lot tighter and, in yeah. fact, was originally conceived as a movie. And then they stretched it to fit this format, right? Um I- I- I mean, I would say I, I think I have experienced a great Obi-Wan Kenobi story. And it's it's the – I think it's just called Kenobi, the novel. Right. That's it's what part of the Legends continuity, but some parts of it have been, been kind of, I think, influenced the show. But And I think part of why I felt it worked so much better than this is it's a much smaller story. Mm, is, yeah. It is a similar idea of him trying to decide how to deal with his guilt and whether to, like, try and be a hero again or, or how he interacts with Luke and how he deals with Lars. But the focus of it is – a local conflict between settlers uh, who are humans and natives who are the Tuscans. Right. And it, it, to me, it worked so much more because it, it tells Obi-Wan's journey, but without it being this fundamental moment for Leia and for Vader and yeah. Anakin and for all these other, like, and, and for the overall story. It was just sort of saying, like, yeah. Because to me, I think that's the main thing that Obi-Wan got wrong. And and I don't want to make this whole show just about Obi Wan and Anakin. There's a lot and, and Andor. There's a lot more we can talk about. But like, to me, this is kind of the whole discussion we're having about prequels in general. Is when you've given us a large blank space in the story, but you've told us like that during that blank space, a person goes from A to B, giving us that story in ways that fundamentally uh, that they give big things into the into the storylines of everyone else to me is a lot more dangerous because mm-hmm. like, yeah, if I had known that Leia had been kidnapped at age 10 and been rescued, like that changes how I look at her in a new hope being rescued, you know, but I don't think it quite lines up all the same ways. Whereas like this story or Andor, everything is so below the radar. Sc- By this story, I mean the, the Kenobi book I'm yes. talking about yeah. that or Andor are so far below the radar screen that you could tell me that anything happened on Fenix and I would still – it wouldn't change my understanding of everything. I wouldn't be like, well, why wasn't that mentioned in Rebels? Why wasn't right. that mentioned in A New Hope or any of those kind of – or Rogue One or any yeah. of those things? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and and just, just to like briefly mention Reva, like I, I would have just rather seen a Reva show, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, I could see I, that. As opposed to like the, the – I, I think a lot of times uh, – I, I mean – in in some ways, Obi Wan Kenobi felt a little bit like a backdoor pilot for a Reva show, which is like, mm-hmm. all right. I mean, if that's what ends up happening, like, 
fine. You know, I mean, that by the end of the story, she's like one of my favorite types of characters, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see like where she goes from there. Um, Andor, on the other hand, compared to Obi-Wan Kenobi, like it feels like it was not telling... Like, I think there's a, a view that the idea of Andor is to tell the backstory of Cassie and Andor, right? Right. And, like, it's not. It The arc of the first season does tell how Cassian goes from being, you know, a guy who's just going from one hustle to another, trying to track down his sister, but also, like, basically just trying to get through the day um, mm-hmm. to someone who's, like... No, we're going to we're going to fight the empire now. You know, this is yeah. what I am literally going to give my entire life to, like kill me or take me in, right? And that story is told I think very effectively by not being the main story, right? Yeah. It's it's the the meta arc through the through the whole season, but this was this was a series that was conceived for this format. Right. Or even almost like this format was conceived for this series, because apparently after Rogue One, Tony Gilroy basically pitched this series and Kathleen Kennedy was like, yeah, we we can't do that. You know, that's just not a thing we can do. And then they've got, you know, the Disney Plus running and they have these shows going and they're getting viewership. And she's like, "Um, hey, Tony, I think we can do this thing now. He's like, oh, really? (laughs) Hey, let's do this thing. And and like, you know, Andor is like it's a new format in, in that it's not a 12-episode TV series, it's a four-movie TV series released right. as 12 episodes, right? And and then there's, like, one episode of Connective Tissue. But it's basically four feature films plus, uh, you know, a transitional episode. And that's just... I don't think that's been done in exactly this way before. And I think it was used very effectively. But also, like, it's telling a bunch of small stories, right? Local stories... Right. It's there's an incident on Ferrix. Right. Then there's a robbery on Aldani. Then there's a prison break on Narkina five. And then there's a riot or a violent demonstration in uh, on Ferrix. Right. And this tells the story of how revolutions are all these little pockets of rebellion. Right. Pockets of fomenting. Mm. And it. This, to me, feels like a very important story, a story that we didn't get in any of the movies. We didn't get the story of how the rebellion was born, right? right? So it's like this is telling that story, but not in a way that's saying, no, this is the definitive most important stuff that was happening, you know, great men of history kind of way. It's saying here are a handful of examples of the type of thing that's going on all across the galaxy, and all of that is going to come together and end up being the rebellion that eventually takes down the empire. And to me, that's like a much more interesting, a, a new story, and a story that like needs to be told. It's a type of story yeah. that we don't have a lot of, like in other media, even. You know, I, I 100% agree. I mean, there's two big things to think about there. One of which is, and we talked about this to death, so I don't want to go over it in too much detail. But like part of I think what the story understood was. By the time you get to Luke Skywalker and blowing up planets, the ideas of good and evil seem pretty cemented. And so we're going to tell a fairly straightforward story of good and evil yeah. where good is tempted towards evil 
and evil can be brought back to good, but still the lines are fairly clear. And this show morally and ethically is exactly the other side, where mm-hmm. it's, you know, the goodness is happening because of people like Luthen, who are like, mm, those 30 people, they're going to have to die to help do this other thing. Plus or like, uh, Yeah, you know, Krieger and all of his people. Or like, Andor really helped us, but maybe we need to kill him just to keep him quiet, you know? And to me, I think that, you're right, it's such a, it's a new thing. It's such an essential thing. But the other thing about this show, just because we've gone into that first one in such detail, is the way you described it, I think, really perfectly captures why the the part of Star Wars media that it most perfectly lines up with is Star Wars Rebels. Yes. And because Star Wars Rebels is a very different kind of story. It's a found family about one very particular and, and there's an idea of like by watching that group of people, you get like you get to see the rebellion getting started as they do. But still, you know that there's so much happening off screen. I feel like that by the end of Andor, if you take Andor and Rebels, we're going to put them together to have such a clearer picture of how all these different pieces came together. And to be clear, I don't think Andor Season 2 will be the story of the Rebellion in a comprehensive way. I don't want it to be. But I think because the Rebellion was mostly showing us like very much out on the edges, and here... We're showing some of the stuff on the edges with Andor himself, but we're also getting Mon Mothma and Luthen and, you know, probably Bail Organa may come back. With all these people yeah. who are, like, you know, essential to the much more central part of the story that I think is going to wind up being a fairly comprehensive picture of, like, all the different things going on. With still probably a lot left out because it's still going to be from the perspective of our characters we know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I mean, I'm glad you bring up Revels because I, I you know, I neglected that in my statement. I, I do think... <laughs> You know, Andor does the whole thing in a in a somewhat different way. You know that Very much so. Very that much I so. think is is not really um, something I feel like I've seen before. But I, I do feel like when you pair it with Rebels, it's even more um, potent in terms of like you know this is showing these different things that are going on at the same time in different places, but they're similar types of things, right? Yeah, and and it all adds up into into a, a picture of like you don't have to show every single you know rebel thing that ever happened right but you right. give the sense of different things that were happening in different places and i think it it paints a, a very effective picture especially because and this is something i think actually andor did even better than rebels is that one of the problems with rebels is that by the end of the show and they're getting some spoilers here from the end of rebels so if you haven't gotten there yet you can skip ahead a little bit um but you know, Rebels builds some of its characters up to be so big that you're sort of like, okay, well, if Hera is literally like one of the greatest pilots in the world, in the galaxy at that time, why isn't she doing something interest essential at, you know, these battles? Mm. Or, you know, Ezra is a Jedi. Why isn't he doing these things? Um, and, and and they find ways to kind of like retcon those things. Not really retcon, but like to, to take those pieces off of the board. Or in yeah. Hera's case, like, you know, you can see the ghost in a couple of the big battles. I don't have any need to me. Like I know where Mon Mothman is going to go, but like if you tell me that Luthen eventually just either is like killed by the caught by the Empire, or like has a falling out with Mon Mothma, or just becomes like a colonel and like yeah, he's one of the people commanding people on Hoth, and maybe he's killed at Hoth or he's killed at you know in Endor or whatever it is. Like I believe that I don't have any need to sort of be like yeah. okay, but because Luthen is like. He's a very big pit 
he's a very big fish in a particular pond. But by the time you go from like spy missions and little bank robberies to galactic civil war, yeah, I totally believe that Luthen gets lost in the shuffle, as does Val and Sintra and all those folks. And that, yeah, they probably were involved in some of the battles and they probably died. And some of them died in the battles and some of them lived. And but their stories are small enough that I don't feel like it's missing that we didn't see where their stories wound up. Whereas like someone like Hera, I'm like, you know. Well, if Ezra's around, then why does Yoda say that Luke's the only one? Right. Or if Hera's still around, why isn't she piloting, you know, the ship to lead the attack on the second Death Star? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so Hera is name-dropped in Rogue One, right? Yes. Um, which which I think is nice and kind of, kind of brings things together. Um, but yeah, she is... That is the thing. Like, when you pump your characters up as being, you know, so powerful or so important or central to things, uh, it, it really does make it difficult to then explain, like, why weren't they in a particular place at a particular time? Um, and I, I think with Luthen, it's like, I mean, he could just be in the shadows throughout the entire, you know, original yeah. trilogy. You know, many Bothans died. Maybe that's because he was like, yeah, I think, um, you know, 30 Bothans dying is going to be worth this intel. You know, <laughs> oh, we don't dark, know. But it's true. <laughs> Super true. Um, yeah, also, maybe he gets killed. Mission. What? He could have been the handler for that mission. He could have. You know, we don't know. Um, I, I don't even really know what a Bothan is. I, I imagine that's been fleshed out somewhere in uh, the Legends canon, at least. But Yeah, the Timothy Zahn books, there's a very prominent um, leg- uh, Bothan who's part of the like leadership of the New Republic. But nothing okay. in canon that I know. Nothing in Disney canon that I know. Right. Cool, cool. Um, but yeah, th- th- exactly. Like, we know where Mon Mothma is going to end up, and we see kind of her process of getting to the point where that makes sense, right? right. Um, and uh, uh, unfortunately, we know where Bail Organa ends up, um, or at least presumably. Um, I think he said he was flying back to Alderaan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and. Yeah, so having having the characters be more, you know, on the ground type agents as opposed to like ace pilots definitely makes it easier to to not not have their absence felt yeah. in in the, you know, in the original trilogy when it's like, well, why weren't they there? But, you know, then again, that's like when I saw Rogue One, I was like, oh, clearly everyone's going to die because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, these characters aren't in the original trilogy. So, like, if they're going to be, you know, a really effective squad, like, they're they're probably, this is a, yeah, this is a one-way ticket to Scarif. One-way ticket. Uh, there's so much we can more say about those two shows. Let's talk about some of the other shows that came yeah. out that, that uh, and like you said, both of us were, were pretty up on Book of Boba Fett. Um, yeah. Especially that that is, I think, considered by many to be one of the worst shows of the year, which I I would strongly disagree with. Um, I mean, anyone can have their opinion; that's fine. But what what did you like about Book of Boba Fett? Right. So, I mean, first of all, I I just I just like things that Robert Rodriguez makes, even things that I don't like. Like I still like them, just in terms of mm-hmm. you know the look and the feel and the pacing. Um, I I think some people found the pacing weird because of the way they handled the flashbacks i actually really appreciate the um sort of outside the box way of doing that and kind of having the flashbacks mostly um be like more cohesive right as opposed to chopping it up through the entire season um you know i enjoy boba fett as a character um i 
I like uh, Fennec Shand as a character as well. Um, I like mm-hmm. both of the stars of the show and, um, you know, as actors, uh, Ming-Na Wen and Tamora Morrison. And uh, I, I like that there's a show that has actors in their 50s or even like 60-ish or whatever who are the main characters and are action heroes and then don't yeah. get killed off so that some younger character can like have feelings, you know? Yeah. Um, that's one of my larger complaints about Star Wars at large, you know, mm-hmm. is like there is a, I mean, you know, it's, they're, they're movies and, and there's a lot of ageism in movies, but it's like, it feels like a lot of it is like deeply woven into the plot where it's like, you know, the mentor must die so the student can like, it's like, that's not, that's not really how things work. And it's, it's like actually pretty gross. Right. Um, within an individual story, fine, whatever. But um, just having that and, and always be the- a pattern. They presented as action heroes. They're presented as sex, as, as sex objects. I mean, like, and they're yeah. not not that they're objectified they're in a bad sexy, way. Sexy, sexy yeah, action heroes, right? Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. both they are both very thirst worthy in the show, and the show is intentionally doing that, right? And I think that's awesome. You know, like, um, uh, Tamora Morrison still looks very good with the shirt off, and he's well into his sixties. And uh, Mingna Wen is in her fifties and still looks amazing. And they're yeah, they're not objectified, but they're presented as like. You know, think about like I love the show The Golden Girls, and I know you love it even more than mm-hmm. I do. And that def- even that show was about like, hey, don't think of old people quite the way you think of them. But the show was also very much about like this is going to be funny because they're old people, um, at least in the way it's marketed and still remembered. I think. And this show is like, it's not in any way that it's supposed to be that these two are quite are, are elderly or I mean, that's the word word, but that they're not young spry young chickens. But like. But that's not the point. It's just here's where they are. They've had long lives and they're doing awesome things and let's watch that. Right, exactly. It's it's not um that's not the point of the show, you know. It's yeah. just it's just a thing about the show, which generally is my favorite kind of representation, right? Yeah. Um I I do think there there are there's there's a place and, and an important place for representation that's like no, this is going to specifically address issues specific to, you know, being you know, however you want to say it, but like a you know a particular type of person in a particular place, like yes, that's also important. Um, but for me, I mostly enjoy when it's just like, yeah, why can't we have you know a, an action hero who looks like this, you know? Right. Um, and we can, and I think that's great. Um, you know, I when people talk about the book of Boba Fett, they they like to mention like um, you know those the like speeder bike gang and like how those bright colors were so un Star Wars. And, uh-huh. like, I loved that. I think, yeah. the, like, what's more punk on Tatooine than to have some brightly colored, like, high-maintenance bike, you know? That, like, imagine trying to keep the shine on that thing on Tatooine, right. you know? Like, um, I mean, just looking at my car here in Las Vegas, goodness, like, <laughs> <laughs> the sand. I hate sand. Um, it, well, and just think about, like... Even in Las Vegas, if you were to say, like, what is the look of Las Vegas? Yeah, a lot of people are going to think of, like, all the bright lights and glitz mm-hmm. of, like, the strip. But, like, you can find ten different aesthetics yeah. just walking around Vegas. Yeah. So the idea that there is one look that is Star Wars that you're going to find on thousands of planets is utterly ridiculous. Right. You know, of course there's going to be all sorts of different looks. And like you said, these kids are counterculture. That's their whole point. So, of course, they're going to do something that's very against the look. Of what people expect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, and I just, you know, I, I enjoyed the set pieces. Oh, Danny Trejo, uh, Danny Trejo as, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the uh, Rancor the Wrangler. Rancor 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that was fantastic. The fact that they didn't kill the Rancor at the end, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Grogu tamed it. Um, that was, that was a nice choice at least. Um, yeah. I, you know, some of the, it's funny cause like I've, I've also seen like Luke showing up in Mandalorian as like this, this like strike against that as if it's just some like fan service, like nonsense cameo. And I'm like that. I feel like that made all the sense in that show. Yeah. Um, here in Book of Boba Fett, that that wasn't my favorite part. Like I would, I would have expected to enjoy that more, and you know some of the some of the Din Djarin stuff. Um, uh -huh. I I did appreciate his appearance, and I loved yeah. like the musical cue at the end of um, I think it was Episode Four, where it's like, "But who can we get?" And then they play you know a little bit of the theme. I'm like, "Okay, cool." Um, yeah. But it, it, that, in terms of, like, the pacing of the season did feel a little odd. I, I think if I had expected that more going in or, like, um, the more that becomes a normal thing, I think the less something like that will sort of bother right. me, you know? I think that's sort of more of a me problem than a the show problem. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think in some ways it was the show trying to say, kind of like we were talking with Andor, trying to say we're going to try and tell a different kind of story here because, yeah. you know, and this is something you and I have talked a lot about with the MCU that, especially the Netflix MCU, but also some of the other stuff that like, it's great to tell a story that focuses on a particular character, but at some points you get to a moment where you're like, okay, but it just makes sense for this character to now interact with this other character. But then like, no, it's supposed to be this first character's show and not this other character's show and all that kind of, and all these sort of like, the way movies and TV shows are made influencing the actual story itself and how in whereas in contrast, something like the DC justice league show, uh, uh, just the United or whatever, you just had whatever character who would make sense to show up, showed up. Yeah. I feel like with book of Boba Fett, they're trying to say like, what if we actually have like a collection of shows that are all set in these years soon after return of the Jedi, when the new Republic is trying to get established and some of it's going to be about, Someone's going to focus on Mando and someone's going to focus on Boba Fett. And uh, there was, you know, I think it's now gotten stalled, but there was a show that was going to focus on like some of the X-Wing pilots who, you know, mm -hmm. like the traffic cop played by um, the guy from Kim's Convenience, whose name I can never remember, but who's such an amazing actor. Paul Sun-Hyung um, Lee. Say again? Paul Sun-Hyung Lee. Paul Sun-Hyung Lee. Thank you. I was vamping until you filled it in. Um, but yeah, and like, and then they're all just going to, and that like, it could just be called like, after after Ewoks season one, after Ewoks season two, after Ewoks season three, etc. <laughs> right, right. And so I I I I didn't mind the idea of it. I agree with you. Though, the execution could have been a, a lot better. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have my own thing because like just seeing Ahsoka show up hanging out with Luke, yeah. without telling us like no, no, you tell us <laughs> how that comes. But, but give me I'm that sorry. moment. I need that moment. <laughs> I, I just need her to learn that Anakin came back. Anyway, yeah, yeah. That's, that's another story. But yeah, like it, that didn't – to me, there's some people who thought like the execution of it was bad, which is where I think you and I were. There were those who were like, no, no, this whole idea was wrong. And to mm. me that – kind of like you said with Luke, like to me Luke showing up is exactly that thing that I used to complain about with MCU shows where I was like, okay – I know the show doesn't have the budget for Chris Evans, but Captain America is the person who should show up in this moment. Right. And it, it's and I feel like I would have felt that too, is it would have felt like, okay, well, 
Luke Skywalker should be the one in story who shows up in this moment, but Mark Hamill is much older. It's kind of hard to do. Fine, they didn't do it. That's too bad. And instead, they did it. Yeah. And was there a bit of uncanny and cat? If you want to say uncanny valiness to the, I didn't see it, but fine. But it they they made it work that the thing that should happen in the story did get to happen in the story. I have no no problems with that in. Because in the same way, like, of course, Boba Fett, when he needs help, Mando's one of the people he's going to turn to. Right, of course, right? He just helped Mando. Now Mando's helping him. Like, it makes all the sense. And, yeah, yeah, and, I mean, there's some instances um, in the the MCU, I think, of in some of the shows, you know, a big character was supposed to show up. And then someone was like, oh, but this is supposed to be this character's show. So that character can't show up. They'll, They'll, like, upstage them. And it's like, well, but shouldn't that character show up like doesn't that make sense you know yeah and i'm I'm really happy that with with star wars they have been going with it like yeah this is this is what we think makes sense so we're gonna do it and mm-hmm. um yeah and I, I mean re-watching rogue one there's like a little bit of an uncanny valley thing with like tarkin for me now whereas the first time it didn't bother me you know and yeah. Um, you know, in the, the first watch, like on, of Luke, like that didn't really bother me. Now I'm, it doesn't bother me, but I see it. I'm like, yeah, okay. I see it. You know, I see what you're talking about. And it's I, like, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to be bothered by it when you're going, Oh my God, Luke's here. I know. It's, so cool. <laughs> it's like, it's music. <laughs> no, I'm definitely the same way. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with you. And again, sort of pulling in, uh, one thing I've been doing the last couple of weeks is watching, uh, Star Wars Resistance. And actually tomorrow I'm mm. going to record an episode, um, with Aaron McGowan coming back on Star Wars Assistance Season 1, because a lot like Clone Wars, and I, it's a almost reminds you of Star Trek The Next Generation, and that the first half of the season is real bad, mm. uh, but it gets a lot better, and then it, it, it does a real, like, tr- almost the good place level of, like, sucking you into a different kind of story than you thought oh, wow. you were in. Um, but the, the, the point I'm making here is, kind of in the same way that the, cl- that the Clone Wars filled in a lot of the gaps from the prequel movies... I feel like Mando and now even more so Book of Boba Fett, similar to what Resistance is doing, are filling in for me one of the biggest gaps of the sequels, which is how is it that the New Republic failed so badly that the First Order was able to come in? Because what I think Mando showed, but especially here when you look at what's happening in Tatooine, it really shows how useless the new republic is you know and especially like to me if you want to make me feel like they're like lose all respect for a government and its authority i mean like don't get me wrong i don't have respect for cops to begin with but the idea that there's this like massive corruption everywhere and all of these problems everywhere and there's no one trying to take on the corrupt bosses and politicians and all these people but they're still going to stop you for traffic tickets, basically. Right. Like, that's a great way to tell me, like, whatever government's out here isn't here to help me. They're here to take money from me while they're not helping me and dealing with their own stuff back home. And um, Resistance makes some similar points really well mm. uh, later in the season. And I just I, – for both – I think that's one thing that Book of Boba had really helped me do is getting to see, like, yeah – before the Empire, Tatooine was completely ignored by the Republic to the point where they couldn't even free a slave who was the mother of one of their own Padawans. Yeah. Now they've fought all these wars. They've defeated the Empire. And what's going on? Tatooine is just as bad as it ever was. And the New Republic is not anywhere to be found. Um, and yeah, I can understand. Like, 
throughout history, what we see is that times of chaos and anarchy and people feeling like no one's in control is when they start thinking, okay, this strong man has a lot of ideas and it makes me want to like, I have to shout weird things, but they're going to make the trains run on time. They're going to take care of the, the people who keep breaking into my store or whatever. And like, um, I'm not saying that's good in any way, but I'm saying it, it makes it understandable why people would, would see something like the first order or the empire, uh, way back in the day as something they wanted. And I really appreciate that about Mando, but also I think Boba Fett does a good job with that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, actually, this didn't really occur to me until you were just um, saying all this, but in a way, Boba Fett's like a, a microcosm of that story because, you know, Boba yeah. Fett comes in and things are the way they are. And then, you know, th this guy's like, oh, they're, they're stealing my water. And then they're like, well, he's price gouging us for the water. And then he's like, okay, well, I have might, so I'm going to decide what happens. You know, right. and we, you know, we don't get to see too much about how that much of the population really responds to this. Right. right. Uh, we see more, you know, a, a certain set of players, really. But, you know, the, the bikers are like, yeah, OK, we'll we'll work for you. And, you know, if you if you keep people from price gouging us on the water, you know, and mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I mean, Boba Fett's not the empire, but he is an authoritarian yeah, he, he's not you – know. like, he has some heroic ideas of wanting to help people, and he sees some value to the power he wants to bring. But he's not, like, someone reluctant, like, oh, I don't want to rule. Okay, I guess I can do it to help everyone. He's like, no, cool. I'm going to be the daimyo. I'm going to set myself in charge. Oh, and by the way, yeah, we can also make things a lot better to keep people's loyalty. And, and yeah, I don't really like price gouging, so let's stop that. Right, exactly. I will say the only thing that really disappointed me about Book of Boba Fett, and here's where also it ties into other stories, I loved how much the Tuscans were a big part of the first part of his story. And I think in a world where other – and here's where, again, like maybe this is an unfair thing to put on the story. It is his particular story and his story of he had this really powerful experience with the Tuscans – and then in part because of his mistakes, he thought he could help keep them safe. He didn't. They were wiped out. And he has to now carry the guilt of that. And that's going to influence him through the rest of his story. That's a legitimate story, I think, and a good one to tell. But when the Tuscans have not had their story told in any other setting at all, and this is the first time that we're starting to be like, yeah, maybe we talked about them kind of like you know, old cowboy and, and Indian movies used to talk about the, the Native Americans and maybe we should portray them a little bit more sympathetically. Like, to have them then all show up and wind up kind of being fridged in terms of, like, they die to advance our main character's story. And then especially because I know in the book of Kenobi there's so much about him with the Tuscans and then he, we don't get any of that in his show. I don't think it's fair to say that this show needed to give us more with the Tuscans, but I think in terms of the overall Star Wars story, I think to start the discussion of the Tuscans and then end it without it being picked up anywhere else is overall kind of disappointing. And to me, that's the only kind of like, I, I've gone back and watched the show and I liked it, but those scenes were a little less satisfying and a little harder to watch knowing that they're not really going anywhere. Yeah, I, I also found that... Um disappointing that in book of boba fett specifically they didn't um didn't kind of circle back 
to that at yeah. all, you know, because those weren't the only Tuscans, right? Right. It's not like all the Tuscans were genocided by the Pikes. Uh, there was this dynamic that was was very awful between the the Pikes and the Tuscans, where you know the Pikes were were shooting at them out of this train, the way you know people in the United States used to shoot at at you know native peoples out of trains, like for yep. sport, or just just because people are awful, right? And those people were specifically awful in that way. Um, and I I thought that. That whole thing, I think, was a very interesting story. It's it's a very terrible and sad story. And I think that story is a fine story to tell. I do completely agree that, first of all, I think in Bo- Book of Boba Fett, I think they could have doubled back and had and shown other Tuscans being part of the story going forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then certainly, if you're not going to do that in Book of Boba Fett... If you make an effort in Kenobi to also show the Tuscans as as people, and um, I, I think that would not so much make up for it, but like show that like yeah, this is a story of something horrible that happened to this group of Tuscans, but like here's another story that has Tuscans as as real characters, and you know Mando did that a little right in season yeah. two, especially I think. Um, and so, like, that's nice, you know, um, and that kind of maybe takes a little bit of the 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 sting out of it as well. That like that that clearly the the stories collectively understand that the Tuscans are people, right? Yeah, and and worthy of of character development and and being shown as as people. Um, but I I do agree that like having that whole element in Book of Boba Fett, which I thought in the beginning was very powerful. And I also think that I I liked that the, the story wasn't showing like, oh, this is just something that happened to them and now Boba will avenge them. Like, no, the story understands and the character understands that that's very much on him, right? right. Um, not, not in its entirety because like, it, I mean, they were already there was already something going on that he didn't start, but he escalated to the point where they, he got them all killed. Right. Right. Um, And so I appreciate that the story understands that, but then it also doesn't really have him learn a lesson from that, which feels a little weird. Like you were pointing out during our coverage of of the show that like, yeah, at the end it's like, well, he's, he's still just like trying to say, (laughs) I'm going to fight for these people without like getting the people to to co-sign, you know? So like, that's, uh, yeah. I I feel like it wasn't uh, collectively a cohesive, all together, great show without any, anything about it. But, um, and that would be kind of the, the more specific, like, yeah, you know, uh, maybe, maybe you could have done a little more with this, um, maybe make it eight episodes, you know? Yeah. And, and it's funny too, because like, on the one hand, it does leave me thinking like, I really would like some Star Wars property to really go deeper into the Tuscans. I'm also so done with Tatooine. Though. Oh, I know. <laughs> like... I know. I know. Yeah. I was just thinking, I was like, wow, every other live action show until Andor had, had uh Tatooine in it. Oh, wow. You're right. <laughs> That's a lot of Tatooine, you know? All right, let's uh, let, let's move on to some of the others because a lot so we want to cover. Yes, we don't want to make it too long. Um, Lego Star Wars Summer Vacation. Is there any more to this recording? Well, yes, yes, there is. Come back soon for part two, where we talk about animation, books, and video games. And head to theethicalpanda.com for more from Matthew and ZenMadman.com for more from Paul. 
I'll meet you at the rendezvous point on Tatooine. 